Chapter eight of Six Years in the Prisons of England by a Merchant edited by Frank Henderson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter eight Another Companion A Career of Crime His Opinions about Religion and Church Rates An Incurable His Opinion about Flogging Another of my companions in hospital gave me the particulars of his history in answer to my inquiries. I gave them precisely in his own words. I was about fifteen years of age before I stole any money or got into any trouble, but I used to nick little things, such as fruit, etc., when I was a kid. My father kept a small shop, but I was bound an apprentice to a very peculiar branch of the Sheffield trade and before I had finished my apprenticeship I committed my first crime. I was playing at Bagatelle one night and lost all my cash, and as I was anxious to win it back, I broke into my master's premises and took all of the money that was in the cash box. I got copped and was sent into the country jail. When I came out, I enlisted in the army. My father bought me off after I had been in the regiment a short time. I then took to hawking, but I did not make much money at that. So I enlisted again, deserted and got flogged, and the flogging made me a blackguard, committed another crime and got out of the army. Afterwards I committed other crimes and was at last copped and sentenced to five years penal servitude. I was sent to do most of it in Gibraltar. After coming home, I resolved I should make a fair trial to gain an honest livelihood. I had about thirteen pounds of the gratuity coming to me, and by the aid of the vicar I got all that at once, and set up as a greengrocer. But as I was not very well acquainted with the business, I soon lost my little capital, and I resolved to try and get work at my trade. I called on all the gafters in that business, but none of them would employ me. Those who knew me would have nothing to do with me. Those who didn't wanted a character, which of course I could not give. Well, I went two days without tasting a bit of food, but on the third I ate some turnips. On the fourth day I became so desperate with hunger that I determined on going on the cross. I commenced and committed seventeen burglaries right off in various parts of the country. The first was in my own town, and the moment I got the wedge, footnote 18, silver plate, end of footnote 18, planted, footnote 19, hidden, end of footnote 19, I went to the police office and asked for a bed for the night, as I had no money. Next day early, there was a great hubbub about my job. One of the police came to the office and swore it must have been done by me, but when the superintendent told him that I had slept in the station house all night and that it could not have been me, he never said any more about it. The next place I robbed was a church, but all the rest were shops. I was tried for the church and two of the other jobs, but I got off the former and as the clergyman prosecuted me, when it ought to have been some other official connected with it, I pleaded guilty to the second charge against me, and it's that I'm now here for. 
when i was in prison waiting for trial i called myself a roman catholic and was visited by the priest one day i confessed to him that i had robbed a church and that i was very sorry for it and so i was upon my word that's the only crime i ever committed which gave me any trouble well the priest was thunderstruck and looked daggers at me but when i told him it was a protestant church he gave me absolution and said the crime was not so bad as he at first thought what religion do you profess now i inquired well i'm down in the books now as a protestant or church of england man but i do not believe all that churchmen believe i think there's a good deal of humbug about what is called christianity altogether i have tried several creeds and there's none of them squares exactly with my ideas which of them have you tried i was eighteen months a mormon my uncle is an elder in their church but i got enough of them one night at a meeting after the business was concluded one of the members proposed that the lights should be put out during the remainder of the proceedings my crikey that night was enough for me i was in earnest at first though and when i was baptized and anointed i intended to have gone out to the settlement in america what do you object to in the church of england oh i don't pay much attention to these matters i like a good man no matter what church he belongs to for instance the presbyterian minister at gibb was a first-rate man and so is that chaplain at penterville the reverend mr sherman but i am of the barber's opinion about church rates what was his opinion well a certain barber opened a shop down our way and shortly afterwards was called on to pay the church rates church rates says he what have i to do with church rates i never go near the church i belong to the dissenters well but you know the church is always open to receive you and every sunday the doors are open for you to come and worship and you ought to consider it a privilege to be permitted to attend on the ministration of god's holy word was the reply i do not consider it a privilege to go to a church i don't believe in said the barber i go to a different church which i am pleased with and therefore i won't pay you any rates but you know the law will compel you to pay them oh then there they are if the law says so it must be done well as you have paid me so promptly i shall be a regular customer of yours and will now have a shave and my hair cut said the collector he was only continued for a short time however to patronize the barber having found a shop nearer home and more convenient but at the end of the year the barber made out his account all the same as if he had continued his custom as he had promised to do when the collector got the account he said how's this i don't owe you a quarter of this sum you must have made a mistake i have only been so many times at your shop altogether and yet you charge me as if i had gone all the year round my dear sir replied the barber you know that my shop as by law established is always open to receive you excepting sunday when your shop is open so that you may avail yourself of my skill 
and you ought to consider it a very great privilege to be permitted to do so. I don't consider it any privilege to get that from you which I can get from others that I happen to prefer, on the same terms, and therefore I refuse to pay your account. Then it appears I am obliged to pay your account whatever it may be, whether I get value for it or not, but yet you are not obliged to pay me mine unless you do get value for it, even when you promise to take value. Good morning, good morning, said the collector, and the barber retired. You will see from this colloquy what the barber's notions were about church rates. Now I have an idea that it is most unjust for one set of religious men to force their neighbours who differ from them to help to pay for the support of their church, particularly when they are able themselves to do all that is required in any way, if they were willing. This mainstay and foundation being rotten, the fabric cannot be secure. The churchman acts unjustly in this, and to act unjustly is anti-Christian. Therefore, the churchman is no Christian any more than I am a Dutchman. Well, we'll leave the church question at present. Have you anything more to tell me about yourself? Have you never thought seriously about changing your mode of life when you get out of prison again? An intelligent fellow like you would do well in America, and I would strongly recommend you to leave the country as soon as you get your liberty. As to altering my conduct, I tell you that when I was in the separate cells, I did resolve on it, and began to pray and read good books, but after I got among the other prisoners I gave it all up again. I should like to go abroad well enough, but I shall not have funds for it, so I must stop at home. Then do you intend to go thieving and robbing again? Well, I shall never go another day without food, that's certain. If I can get it honestly, good and well. If not, I'll steal. Why should a man starve in a Christian country? You have the workhouse to go to. The workhouse? It's a second jail. I would nearly as soon be in prison, and when you have a chance of getting off without being caught, it's better to run the risk and chance it, for all the difference there is or ever can be between the workhouse and the prison. They can't make a man work unless they feed and clothe him, any more than they can make a steam engine go without fuel. Well, give me food and I'll work. Work is no punishment to me. If I can get meat to support it, and if I don't, I can't, that's all about it. But what's the good of making me work for years, at work that will not be of any use to me when I get out? I have only learnt one trade. There are only a very few men in that trade. They won't employ me. Then what am I to do? Starve in a Christian country? It isn't likely, and as for the workhouse, I shall never go to it as long as I can be fed in prison, with the chance always of being kept out of both. Suppose they should flog you next time. In the first place, I have a disease on me now that would prevent me from being flogged, so that I have no fear of flogging, but even if I was able to stand flogging, all the difference it would make to me would be to make me keep a sharper eye after the coppers. Small game would not then tempt me so much. I should look after large stakes to go in at heavier jobs and calculate well my chances of escape 
before going to work. Once I had made up my mind to commit a crime and saw the coast clear, the chances of all the floggings in the world would not deter me. I'll find you fellows in the prison today who will take a good round flogging for a pound of tobacco. Now do you think that the mere chance of the lash would hinder these men from attempting to get hold of a few hundred pounds worth of jewellery? It's not likely. Thieves weren't frightened into honesty by the gallows, nor would they be now, if they were to be cut into mincemeat. Thousands might be led into honest ways if suitable work was found for them, but it would require to be very different work from that of the navvy, and then many of them have to be learned to work before they could make a living at all. Then you don't think flogging did you any good at all? Certainly it did not, and what's more, you will never find a man doing much good after being flogged. It either makes him an invalid or a desperado. It may make him quiet under authority, but it ensures the very opposite when he is free. This prisoner was a more than usually clever and intelligent type of a numerous class of convicts, not the most difficult class to cure, but the next to it, perhaps. Unlike the city-bred professional thief, he had been taught to work, and such work as he could perform was no punishment to him. Unlike the professional, he goes out of the prison hesitating, wavering, as to his future course, willing to take work if suitable, determined to avoid the workhouse, easily tempted to steal, resolved to do so rather than starve, but on the whole anxious to make a comfortable livelihood. He had one son, and I remember well how glad he was when some benevolent person wrote to him to say that he had been bound an apprentice to a respectable trade. He is now dead. Another of my companions was of a somewhat different class, and a much more difficult subject to deal with. He told me that he was fifty-seven years of age. I asked him how long he had been a prisoner, not adding his sentences together, but how long he had actually been in prison. Thirty-seven years he replied. How old were you when you got into trouble first? Fourteen. What was your sentence? Seven years transportation. How did you like Australia? Well, the place is well enough, and a man can get a living easier abroad than he can at home, but I have been rather a queer customer in my time. I don't believe there's a man in this prison, or in any prison, who has gone through more hardships and punishments than I have done. Were you ever flogged? Flogged? I should think I have. Just wait until night when I am going to bed, and I'll let you see my back all in ridges with the cat. What effect had the flogging on your conduct? Flogging takes out one devil and puts in seven. That's the effect it had on me, but there's not one in a hundred could stand the floggings and punishments I have endured. I had ten years once in Australia, and I was in the penal class most of the time, and by jingo, they know how to punish there. Suppose I were to offer you twenty L to be flogged, would you accept the money and take the flogging? I should think I would, and that very quick too. I would as soon take a bashing as bread and water for seven days. Then a bashing, as you call it, 
would not frighten you from committing a crime? If I thought I was going to be caught even, I should not commit a crime. A flat or a mumper may do a job to get into prison, but I never do anything unless I believe I am to escape. It's the getting caught that's the crime, the punishment you have got to chance. A fellow needn't begin thieving if he is to be frightened at punishment. He would never make a living at it. It requires a fellow with a good heart to be a thief, I can tell you, and if his heart is not in the right place, he'd better keep on the square. Now tell me, do you never think seriously about your evil ways? You are getting up in years, and although you appear to be very robust in your general health at present, you cannot expect to live very much longer in this world. Well, to tell you the truth, I do sometimes think of leading an honest life, but I am so hardened now to all punishment that I don't care very much what I do. It's not easy for a man at my age to change all of a sudden to be a Christian, and then it's so difficult to get work suitable for one's abilities that I am almost driven to go on the cross. I have a very good brother who has been very kind to me, and I've been thinking several times of going home and getting work from him. He is the only man who ever did me a kindness since I was fourteen years of age, and I love and respect him very much. This man had been longer in prison than any other I met with. He had been five times a convict. I considered him the very worst of a certain class of prisoners that I ever knew, and felt quite convinced that he would not be many weeks out of prison. He was constantly trafficking with his fellow prisoners, and when he could get a chance to steal, his hands would be at work. I remember his being in the cookhouse for a time, and almost every day he stole several pounds of mutton or beef. He would steal anything for an inch of tobacco. He was turned out of the cookhouse on the suspicion that they never could punish him for the thief except on one occasion, which happened in the following manner. The prisoners were in the habit of getting a pint of oatmeal gruel for supper. This pint of gruel was supposed to contain two ounces of meat, but in order to make it part better it was made thinner, so that every night there was a surplus. This surplus the prisoners thought belonged to them, and some of the officers permitted the orderlies for the day who served it out, to divide whatever remained amongst the prisoners in their own wards. The authorities, however, did not allow the prisoners more than a pint, no matter whether it was thick or thin, no matter whether there was only one ounce of meal in it, back to the cookhouse and the swirl-tub, the surplus must go. Some officers adhered to the rule, others did not. The officer in charge of the prisoner referred to was one of those who did, and when my friend helped himself to a pint out of the surplus rule, he was reported the same evening, which happened to be a Saturday. On Sunday, the governor, departing from his usual custom, came to his cell and passed sentence on him there. When the prisoner came out of Chokey, as the punishment cells are called by the prisoners, he came to me about the Sunday sentence of a hungry man for taking a pint of gruel, which in some proportion belonged to himself. He fancied it was not legal to pass sentence on a Sunday, and thought he might get back the time he had forfeited, by appealing to the director. 
I told him I did not approve of the conduct of the governor, but at the same time expressed the opinion that the director would not interfere in his case. Whether he did so or not I am unable to say, as I was removed before the director's visit was due. This prisoner was a big stout man, above thirteen stone weight, and there was nothing the matter with him except a diseased leg. This leg was rather a convenience to him than otherwise. If he disliked any work he was put to, he could always get rid of it by making his leg sore, and this could not be prevented, nor brought directly home to him. When he was at Dartmoor Prison he was always in hospital, but now, as his work pleased him better, he seldom troubled the doctor. On the contrary, when about due to go home, that is when he arrived at his last stage, and became entitled to beer and other privileges, he wanted to get out of the invalid prison, where these privileges are not allowed unless the state of the invalid requires them, and to be sent to the public works, where they would be granted. Many convicts are so afflicted that they can almost compel the doctor to admit them into the hospital. So whenever they are put into some billet they like they are well, and whenever they are put into one they dislike, they send in a sick report, and the medical officer in general must admit them. This was the case with the prisoner I have referred to. Moreover, I question if he was ever a single day in the prison without doing something that was considered wrong, and yet he was very seldom detected or punished. Every day he was trafficking, frequently he was stealing, and he told lies as a rule. Speaking the truth was quite an exceptional matter with him. Thieves generally consider it to be a virtue rather than a sin to tell a lie to save a pal from punishment, but in cases where their own interests are not specially at stake, they can speak the truth as well as other men. But this prisoner seemed utterly incapable of speaking the truth, even when falsehood brought no advantage to him. End of chapter 8